uh, we'll be starting on week five. Week five. Remember week one? That's a get-to-know-you time um, to establish your friendship and trust in one another. Week two is an important week because you will be diagnosing your, your disciple's spiritual condition. Um, is she indeed a believer? And if she is, is she equipped to share the gospel? And uh, if she is, that's great. If not, then you want to help her to learn how to share her faith. And then week three, you'll continue with the memory work, either of learning the gospel presentation or uh, a passage that you have picked out uh, that you're going to memorize together. And this, the purpose of this is to establish habits, some good habits of spending some time meditating on God's Word and uh, studying his scripture. So also on week three, you'll begin reading through the book of Titus. And then week four is when you'll start actually digging into the Bible study using Titus 2 as your text. And so always remember that uh, each time that you meet, you're going to go over your memory work. Uh, you're going to go over the homework assignment for that week. And then you'll pull out the handout and start uh, go over the lesson for that week. So week five, today uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the characteristics of the Titus 2 woman, the woman that you and I, by the grace of God, can all become. And w- that should be our goal uh, to become. But, you know, experience kind of tells me that when older women and younger women uh, connect, uh, develop friendships, most likely the older woman is going to influence the younger woman's thinking in some way. And so it's very important that uh, as older women, as uh, mentors, that we be an example of good news and not bad news. And so we're going to kind of start today. I'm going to give you some examples of bad news, and then we'll talk about the good news. Uh, 90% of the time, I think the reason that a woman can be bad news is that she is not sound in her doctrine. And so it's important that we be doctrinally sound and that we understand what the Bible says about given subjects and that we're mature in our knowledge of Scripture and able to give biblical advice. Um, And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, We're not to be like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. We are to grow up in Christ and be able to speak the truth. And so it's important that we know what the Bible says about this. And and more specifically, if we're mentoring women, that it says about biblical womanhood. So we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But the lack of knowledge... The lack of sound doctrine can lead us as mentors into what I call mysticism. That's giving advice based on our intuition, how we feel about things, or making decisions, or leading our disciple to make decisions based on what she thinks is fair, rather than what God's Word says. And so we need to be very careful that we don't do that. Uh, Another uh, example of bad news would be heresy. An example of heresy would be a wrong view of God. Um, 
And, and an example of that might be, you know, a few weeks ago I had someone call me and they were calling to check on me and to see about my latest test results. And I was telling uh, this person, you know, about how I had gotten a good report and um, they said to me, you know, well, God told me a couple of weeks ago that you were going to be healed. And, he, and they said, you know, I really haven't been praying for you like I was before because God spoke to me and told me that you were going to be healed. And so uh, my response to that was that, you know, I agree with you. I am going to be healed. I don't know whether it's going to be in this life or it's going to be in the life to come. But I know that God is the great physician. He is the great healer. And I will be healed. Uh, but, you know, and this person said to me, no, 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 no. You can't think negative. You've got to think positive. You've got to think positive because if you think negative, then this, you know, it might affect your healing. That is the total wrong view of God. And uh, I, I tried to express that in some way, but I finally just decided I'd just hush and, and uh, we just say, okay, thank you, and, uh, and, and move on. But you see, that would be an example of heresy because that is not... Uh, what the Bible teaches us, uh, who God is. God has a plan for our life that he established in eternity past. And his plan is good. God knows the desires of my heart. He knows that. But whether I am positive or negative, God still has a plan. And what he wants me to do is to align my thinking with his thinking. But, you know... Um, that's what I need to do, positively do, is line my thinking with his thinking. And so, uh, and be okay with whatever God has for me in my life. And, um, you know, my, one of the ways that I responded to this person was to say, you know, my hope is not here. My hope is in eternity. And so, I, as much as I would like to spend more time with my family, you know, I, I don't know that that's God's will. But I do know this, that we're all going to face death. But it's, it's not here. It's what comes after. And I would be able to spend all eternity with no end forever and ever and ever with my Lord and with my family. And that is where I'm looking forward to. And so, you know, uh, make sure that we have a right view of God and that we express a right review of God. Another example of bad news would be leading our disciple into worldly philosophies. Have a wrong thinking as it relates to uh, women's rights, uh, homosexuality, feminism. Um, you know, it's important that as a mentor that we have a biblical understanding of the role of the woman. And that that is what we express. And the reality is, is that the, what the world says a woman should be is nothing like God describes for a woman to be. And so um, we need to be make sure that we are right in our thinking as it relates to these things. Another example of a, you know, a wrong view uh, would be in our sanctification um, we don't grow ourselves. And Pastor uh, Chris brought this out last week in his sermon. Uh, it's God 
who changes us. It's God who conforms us to his likeness. And he does this when we position ourselves in such a way that he can change us. Uh, When we're obedient to his word, when we humble ourselves before God, it's then that he can transform us and make us more like Christ. It's a process. Our sanctification is a process that takes place of growing and changing from the time that we receive Christ as our Savior, we're justified, until we leave this world and we receive our glorified body. It's that process that takes place during our life as we grow and we change and um, you know, we need to look, be able to look back in our life from the time that we did become believers into where we are now and be able to examine, you know, have I changed? Has God changed me? Am I different now than I used to be in my thinking and in my love for the Lord and the way that I live? And so, um, you know, um, just remember, I guess the point there is that God changes us when we position ourselves in a way that he can change us. Um, you know, there are some that believe that we can lose our salvation. We can, if we sin, then, you know, we have to, we're no longer justified. We have to go back and start over again. You know, that's not a, uh, a uh, biblical view of sanctification either. But let me ask you another question. This is where I think we get tripped up sometimes. Does God love us more on our good days then he loves us on our bad days. No. See, we're tempted to think that. You know, let's say you had a bad day. The alarm, you know, didn't go off. You were late getting up. You know, you start yelling, screaming at the kids, get up, we got to go, you know. And then, um, you know, you get in the car. And you didn't take time to pray that day. You uh, get the kids dropped off, get out of the car, let's go, you know. And then you get to work and somebody's in your parking spot, you know, and so the time you get into work, you're in a very bad mood, and, you know, one of your coworkers speaks to you, and, of course, you just jump back at them, you know, and you see, you're having a bad, your whole day is starting off bad. But then let's think about a good day. Everything's going good. You get up on time. You have time to, to pray and have some quiet time with the Lord. The kids get up. You know, everybody's smiling. Everybody has a good attitude. You get the kids dropped off, get to work, you know, and, you know, just, you know, everything's good. Are you more acceptable to God on that good day than you are the bad day? The answer to that question is no. Uh, God loves us just as much on our bad days as he loves us on our good days. We're no more acceptable to God on our good day than we are bad day. Because the scripture says that our righteousness is as a filthy rag before the Lord. The best I could do on my best day stinks to the Lord. That's the truth. But somehow we want to think that we're a little more holy you know, on our good days than we are our bad days. But that kind of thinking is confusing, and it also leads us to be self-righteous, to think that, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, you know, so God must, you know, think a little more highly of me, me today because, you know, everything's going good. 
That's not the truth. That is not what Scripture teaches us. And so it's important, it's so important that as women that we have a proper view of our sanctification and that we communicate that to the woman that we are mentoring. And um, the last thing that I have in that regard is taking up an offense against the woman's husband. Now, I want to say this. Oftentimes, when you are mentoring young women, um, young married women, um, you know, they'll start telling you their story, and um, they'll be negative in regard to their husband. You know, he never helps me do a thing. You know, I have to do everything. And, um, you know, he spends too much money. I mean, they can tell you all kinds of things, you know, about their husband. But the, and, and, the, and all of that might be true. But the reality is that you're there to, for her to focus on herself. You see, it's easy for us to point the finger at what somebody else is not doing. Uh, but during this mentoring time, he's not there to defend himself, number one. And so you're only hearing one side of the story. And if you heard the other side of the story, you probably have a different perspective. So uh, just, you know, understand that and, and, re- and help her to focus on herself and her relationship with the Lord. But I will say this, that there have been a couple of instances that where I realized in counseling and in men- mentoring that there was some uh, sinful things going on in the home and maybe even some abuse that was... M- and I want to encourage you in this. If you were to run into a situation like this, then... You need to encourage her to go to counseling, to encourage her to talk to the pastors. Uh, not, you know, don't try to handle something that's out of your league of handling. You know, go direct her um, to get the help that she needs, and that would be going to the count through the counseling ministry or to the pastors uh, for that help. Um, but oftentimes that's. That's not going to be the case, but it, it'll be more the case that she'll try to talk negatively about, you know, her either, sometimes it's her in-laws, you know, she'll start telling you all about how bad her in-laws are, you know, or something like that. You know, just, just try to nip that kind of stuff in the bud and, uh, and help her to focus on herself because 90% of the time, um, you know, it, we need to look at ourselves. We have problems with our in-laws. Let's look at ourselves. How can we make that situation better rather than expecting them um, uh, to change? How can, we, how can we change? And so um, those are just some examples of, of women that, you know, of, of bad news, ways that we can be a bad influence. And so that's definitely not what we want to be. We want to be an example of good news. And in order to be an example of good news, we, we need to be sound in our doctrine. We, we need to be doctrinally mature, and we need to give advice based on Scripture. Uh, you know, when you give advice that's uh, based on Scripture, if that's not what the person wants to hear, um, then their problem is not with you. Their problem is with God. And so uh, always remember that. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
And that's what we want to do. And in order to do that, we must be growing daily in our knowledge of God. That's why it's so important that you spend time with the Lord, that you spend time in Bible study, and you spend time uh, seeking out what the Bible says about different, um, you know, subjects. Establishing uh, for yourself habits of studying God's Word and praying so that you can rightly handle the word of truth. So the second example of good news is that the woman recognized that she is under the authority of the church leadership and that she is under the authority of her husband if she is married. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. You know, as far as the women's ministry is concerned, you know, I, I, I know in a lot of instances, those ministries are kind of like over here and they're kind of rogue uh, as, as it relates to the church. But the, the women's ministry should function under the umbrella of the pastors and what their goals are for the church. And so I always try to communicate with the, the pastoral leadership is what we're going to be studying, you know, so that they are and what, our, what we're planning for the year and get their approval of this because we uh, fall under their leadership. And so we want to do that. And, um, you know, when I have been in instances in churches where women can stir up a lot of confusion. They really can. Um, I have been in churches where, you know, there was just a lot of confusion, and most of the time it was over just petty, foolish stuff that women uh, were just wanting to have their own way, and so they just start, you know, stuff within the church that, you know, was just totally uncalled for. Uh, we don't want to be that way. As women of the church, we don't want to be that way. We want to be uh, a joy to have within the church, not a burden. And then the third example of good news is that we should be con continually striving to be mature in our character. Uh, Peter lists uh, some attributes of a person, a Christian's character, a mature Christian's character. And some of these attributes that Peter lists are that a mature Christian is diligent, they're faithful, they ex have excellent morals, they're, they have knowledge about the word, they're self-controlled, they're kind, and they're loving. So these should be the attributes that we're seeking uh, in our life. And as I'll say again, we need to be able to look back from the time we came to know Christ to where we are today and honestly evaluate and be able to say that God's Spirit has grown us and God's Spirit has changed us. That continual process of sanctification. And then remember Remember, at the end of your time to your, you complete your study, go over the homework assignment for the following week, and then pray together. So that would be what I would uh, go over with them um, in uh, Lesson 5. You know. And remember, this is the woman we all want to become. We may not be there, but this is the, this is the mature woman that we all want to become. And so... We should have knowledge. We should be continuing to seek our after knowledge of God's word and um, 
know, are have, and seeking to have character that is becoming to that of a Christian. So, and then uh, we would go to week six. And in week six is where you're going to be setting the foundation for biblical womanhood. You're going to begin to dive into your study and helping her to, to set that foundation. Uh, so I want to just start on week six um, reading Titus 2, verse 3. Verse 3 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So the first characteristic of a godly woman is that she is to be reverent in her behavior. Um, a Greek word for this, uh, it's, a, it's a compound word, and I am not very good at, at uh, speaking Greek, but... Um, it's hero prepious. Hero means to be sacred. Prepious means to be proper. And so this is referring to our conduct, how we should, should act. We should be sacred and proper in the way that we conduct ourselves. Uh, the King James Version translates it like this. I really like the way the King James translates uh, this passage. It says, The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. That even sounds holy, doesn't it? And so we are to seek to have behavior that is holy. Matthew Henry's commentary says this, this is behavior that becomes women who are consecrated to God. That is what we should seek in our life, to have a behavior that uh, is reverent. Now, what does that look like? What does that actually look like in our life? How do we apply this on a, just a day-to-day basis? Well, I have some things here that I've uh, added in your handout. You know, I think the, one of the first applications is the way that we present ourselves, the way that we dress. Um, we should dress in a feminine way. We should dress like a woman and not a man. And we should dress in a way that is not provocative. Because, well, we, you know, I will talk about that in a minute. Paul says this, because Paul talks a lot about our dress too. He says proper clothing, he describes it as being modest and discreet. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, likewise, also women should adorn themselves in a respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And so, uh, you know, it's tempting. It really is tempting in this area for us to become legalistic and make rules as to what people should wear and what they shouldn't wear. Uh, When reality, this is a matter of the heart. This is what's inside of our heart. Why do we want to dress the way we dress? Is it because we want to please people? We want to please men? Uh, or is it because we want to please God? And so that's what we need to, as, as we encourage younger women, you know, to examine her heart as to why she wants to dress in the way that she dresses. Um, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong. We don't need to look like we just stepped out of a little house on the prairie or something. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you can dress trendy. 
You can dress stylish. There is nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just dressing up in a sensual way or a provo provocative way. Dressing in a way that when men look at you, they lust after you, according to, you know, based on what you have on. Uh, that is a sin when we do that. And we need to uh, you know, realize that we're going to be held accountable for that if that is the way we choose to dress. And so that's important that we dress in a way that is pleasing to God and we present ourselves uh, in a way that God is pleased. Um, the second application of being reverent in our behavior is to have good manners. Uh, to, to be kind and to be gracious and not be rude and unbecoming. Okay. That's important. And, I, I, you know, I've known women just always seem rude and, uh, you know, just you know, not happy, you know, frowned up. You know, God wants us to be kind and he wants us to be gracious in the way in our dealings with other people. And then, then a third uh, application of being reverent in our behavior is to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And uh, I will tell you, I mean, I'll give you an example in a few minutes, but this is uh, an area in my life that I, God has really had to work on me. And uh, hopefully, uh, looking back over the past 25 years, that um, I do have a more gentle and quiet spirit today than I did back then. Um, let's just read what Peter says in First Peter chapter three, verses four and five. It says, "Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious." in the sight of God. The heart, it should be the hidden person of the heart. The heart is who you are on the inside. It's that inner person. It's on, what's on the inside that controls you, controls your thinking, controls your actions, what motivates you from the inside. Um, I did a little research on the gentle and quiet spirit, and the definition is accepting God's dealings with you as good. It's accepting God's dealings with you is good. In other words, a woman with a gentle and a quiet spirit is not contentious. She's not quarrelsome. She's not easily angered. She doesn't fly off the handle. She's not overly dramatic. Um, I'll give you, I, I want to give you an example I'll, of my own life. And, uh, and you know, I think that's important that as teachers that we be able to, to be, put ourselves in a little a vulnerable place. And so this was probably, I, I was trying to think, this probably been about 25 years ago when we owned this truck. We bought a truck, and from the day we bought that truck, it was a lemon. I mean, we had trouble with it from day one. And um, there was always some issue with that truck. Finally, we traded off and got another one. But, you know... Um, this truck was acting up again. It wasn't, you know, working right. And um, my husband works out of town, and he's worked out of town most of our life, our married life. And um, I hate 
I don't just dislike, I hate to have to deal with problems that deal with our vehicle. Um, and um, so I was having trouble with the vehicle, and so I truck, and so I called Bo, and he was working out of town, and uh, I told him, you've got to come home. Uh, you've got to come home, and you've got to deal with this problem and handle this problem. Um, you know, I, and the re- reality was that I, it wasn't that I couldn't, I just didn't want to handle it. And so I just put my foot down and said, you know, you need to come home, t- take care of this. Well, you know, he said to he told me, he said, you know, I can't come home. Um, you're going to have to deal with this problem. And, and he started telling me, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, he started trying to tell me what to do. Well, you know, I just, that just set me off. And so I just went in a rant, you know, um, just, you know, I have to do everything and blah, 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 you know. Well, just all of a sudden I heard click. He hung up the phone. And, uh, you know, so, you know, that just, as I said, I didn't have a gentle and quiet spirit. And so that just really angered me and made me mad, you know, and I started to cry. And I sit there and cried for just a little bit, and then I decided he's not going to treat me this way. He's not going to hang up the phone on me. I'm going to call him back. And so um, I'm going to give this time, I'm really going to give him a piece of my mind. Well, um, I called back, but he didn't answer the phone. And, uh, you know, I, I sat there for a while, and I knew what I had to do. And um, so either I was going to do that or I was going to find myself walking, one or the other. So I needed to do what he told me I needed to do. So I did. I began to take care of the problem. And um, later that night, he called me back. And he asked me if I had done what he had instructed me to do. You know, what I realized is that he did care. He did care. He just could not come home at that point. He couldn't leave his job at that point. He needed me to handle it. You see, I just needed to suck it up and do what I needed to do. Um, I should not have reacted that way. I should have taken care of the matter without all the fuss and all the drama. You see, all the drama, all that did was just cause more confusion. And in the bottom line, it was not pleasing to God. And so I should have handled this with a more gentle and quiet spirit. And so, see, that's how we can, you know, that's just an example of not having a gentle and quiet spirit. And so I think in some ways we're all guilty of that and as, as women in some, one way or the other. But that's not how God wants us to react to things. And so it didn't change the fact that I needed to, to handle the problem and I should have handled it without being, um, you know, ranting and raving and, you know, whatever all, all I was doing. But, you know, uh, hopefully that God has worked in my life and I'm not so quick uh, to, to react in that way now than I was, you know, 25 years ago. So the second characteristic of a woman who is reverent in her behavior is that she is not a malicious gossip. Uh, we get the word malicious. Um, the Greek word for that is diablos, where we get the word Satan. Uh, it means to accuse. It means to give false information to be a tail bearer. Um, 
Matthew Henry said, this is a great and too common fault to speak ill of people and to separate friends. So what kind of words should we speak? What kind of words are we supposed to speak? And you know, the Bible says it has a lot to say about our tongue and how that uh, we can get ourselves into some big trouble with our tongue. Uh, You know, we should guard the words that come out of our mouth, carefully guard those words. Um, We should speak words that are edifying, that build each other up. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no wholesome, unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that gives that is good for edification. That is, uh, we, you know, not to say that we want to, to be phony. Uh, we want to speak truth. But we want to speak in a love, in, in a gracious way to others. So we want to edit our words to be edifying. We want to, be, to speak truth. We don't want to lie. Uh, Ephesians 4.25 says, Lay aside falsehood. And speak the truth. You know, one of the things I think about gossip is, is that the more the, the more that it is spread, then the more the story is exaggerated, and uh, the more blown out of proportion that it becomes. And so that's another reason we don't want to get caught up in gossip. Um, you know, you know how that goes. You know, call, instead of going to the person that has offended us, we get on the phone. Did you hear what Sally did? Did you know that she said this? Or, you know, instead of going to that person, well, then that person calls somebody else and says, "Did you hear what Sally said?" You know, and it just gets bigger and bigger. First thing you know, it's so blown out of proportion um, that it's not even anywhere near what it started to be. But it should have never been that way to start with. So, if we we should get speak. Words that are true, and we should give a good report. You know, my daddy used to say, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. And there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, we should get, pass on a good report. And um, if, if we have a bad report, who should we go to? We should go directly to the person. If someone has offended you or said something that hurts you, then you need to go directly to that person with the, the idea and the heart of seeking reconciliation. To be able to say, you hurt my feelings or you, this or that, you know, and the idea of that, your relationship be able to be restored rather than gossiping about it. And we want to be careful that we don't allow others to pull us into gossip. Um, so, um, we don't, we, to be reverent in our behavior, we don't want to be malicious gossips. And then the next thing that the scripture says that, is that we're not to be enslaved to much wine. You know, I did, a, you know, so I did some little research on this as well, and what I um, came up with was that um, in the culture at this time, and we still see this today in the Middle East and many, many cultures, uh, many parts of the world like that, where women are seen as inferior to men. And they're often treated more like property or slaves. Um, and so it seemed to be that on the island of Crete, there are women who were uh, drinking drinking too much, and they were addicted to alcohol. And this stemmed from uh, abuse and depression. 
things that were going on in their home at that time. Um, they had become addicted to wine. And the reality is, as I look at this passage, is that we shouldn't be in bondage to anything. Anything, whether it's wine or, or prescription drugs or uh, spending too much money, uh, shopping, you know, spending money on things we don't have that we don't need, you know, that can, that can become uh, a, an addiction, a bondage. Um, you know, I think one of the problems that we see today that is just really um, becoming a huge problem, I think, is the Internet and social media. Uh, so many people are actually addicted to those sort of things. I mean, they will sit for hours and do this. And, and, and in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with the Internet, and I, there's really nothing I could say wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with... Um, the Bible doesn't say anything that there's wrong about drinking alcohol. Um, there's nothing wrong about going shopping and spending money, any of these things in and of, their, of themselves. We have freedom. Listen to what Paul says. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, it's when, when these things begin to master us and we are held bondage to those things. Think about the time, uh, the hours that are spent you know, scrolling on uh, Facebook and, you know, messaging, you know, all this kind of things that, that could be spent as time with the Lord. It could be st- time with your family, time, you know, being a blessing to them and them blessing you. And so we need to guard ourselves about getting hung up in kind of things like that, that take our time and take us away from the things that are most important in our life. I, I even see this sometimes with, with children, that uh, parents, because they don't want to deal uh, with their kids, just, you know, give them some device and say, sit over here and play with this, you know, so that I don't have to deal with you. And what we're doing is we're just training our kids to be, um, you know, enslaved to those things as well. So, um, I, I was thinking about this, you know, when I, uh, I, even in my own life, you know, I didn't have a cell phone until I was, I don't know, I, wor- I was working, and I first got a bag phone when I was teaching school, you know, that's the first phone I had, but, you know, we had left that in the car, but, um, and I didn't think about going, it didn't bother me to go anywhere without my phone, I, you know, I just you know, went here and there, but nowadays, you know, I'll get in the car, and I'll, uh, Realize, look in my purse, I don't have a phone. Oh, i got to go back to the house and get that phone. I can't go off without that phone. I've got to have it. Somebody might, be, might try to call me. You see, you see how in, we all are enslaved to some of these things in, in one way or the other. And so, uh, not that it's bad not to have my phone. So if I need to, something happens and I need to get in touch with my family. But, you know, I'll have to tell you a little story about that, too, if i got time. Oh, I'm going to have to hurry. But... Um, uh, I, I stopped to visit these people that, um, this a couple that's an elderly couple, and I um, uh, check on them. They don't have any children, and so I, you know, from time to time I try to check on them, make sure they're doing okay. Well, I, I, I go, you know how these, when I go to their house and they, I can't get away. 
you know, because they, they, they got to tell me something else and tell me something else. They're just so glad that somebody's come to visit them, you know. And, but I had intended to just stay for 30 minutes. And I, le- I left my phone in the car. And I went in and, well, I, first thing I know, an hour had gone by, you know, because they had to tell me one more thing and one more thing, you know. And it was probably about an hour and a half before I got out. Well, in the meantime, my family had been trying to call me. And so Tara had trying to call, and then she called her daddy, and her daddy was trying to call me. They called everybody they knew in town. Now, probably some of you in this room wanting to know if they knew where I was. And, uh, you know, they were just about to call the police and put out an APB when I got back in the car and realized that my phone had blown up with them trying to call me. You know, so that was just sort of a, you know, how it is with our phones nowadays, you know. we. uh, But I know they were just worried about me. But anyway, just remember, though, that we're washed in the blood. We have been sanctified in the name of Christ. And uh, because of this, we, it is no longer necessary that we be enslaved to anything. And so um, this is what we want to encourage our younger women uh, in regard um, to being enslaved. So remember, again, to go over the homework assignment and close in prayer as you finish each session. And then we'll go ahead and start. I think I've got time. To, uh, week 7. I think this is one of the most powerful weeks is Week 7. Because um, we're going to be talking about what the older woman is to teach. Remember, she is to teach what is good. What is it that she is to teach? And if we're going to become this woman, this older woman that God intends for us all to become and wants us to be, what do we need to know in order to teach? And so um, let's look at Titus 2, verses 3 through 5 again. It says, Older women, likewise, we are to be reverent in our behavior, not malicious gossips nor slave to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the, the older women, this is the younger women, this is what they're going to teach, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure, to be workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husband that the word of God may not be dishonored. And so this is what we want to be able to, to, to communicate and to teach. And we need to have a good understanding of. Um, also understand that the mentoring ministry is not for a select group of women. This is a command that God gives to all of us. Um, we need to know of uh, the principles, and we need to be living them out uh, in our life in a practical way. And you may say, well, you know, I'm single. This really didn't apply to me. Well, um, it probably applies to somebody you know that you could be ministering to, or if you're not married, most likely you will be one day. And so these are things that you need uh, to know and that things that the older women should be teaching. Um, um, so we're going to be talking about today teaching what is good in Lesson 7. The Greek word for this is a compound word, didaskos, which means instructor, kalos, which means good. We're to be a good instructor of the truth. Um, all women are to be striving and seeking to become 
the Titus II woman. That should be our goal. Uh, there are some of you in this room that God has gifted to teach. You have that gift to teach in a formal setting. I'm not talking about teaching in a formal setting. I'm talking about the ability to pour into someone else's life. And so um, we should uh, you know, be sound, and we're going to talk about that, our doctrine and what we teach and how we encourage and pour into them. Remember, doctrine is what the Bible teaches about various subjects. And my experience is this, that most women, Christian women, are sound in their doctrinal beliefs. And when given a definition of a particular biblical doctrine, they agree. But when asked to explain that same doctrine in their own words, they're unable to clearly do this. And they cannot think of the scriptures that prove their point. And this is what we must be able to do. We build, must be, clearly articulate that doctrine and be able to back it up with Scripture and know where to find it and understand the context of uh, the Scriptures and how to use it. So um, we, have to, we have to study ourselves so that we can know this and, and be able to handle the, the Word of God. You know, I gave you an example of a doctrine last week. I gave you an example of the doctrine of salvation. I gave you all the, the, the scriptures to back that up. I gave you the information as to what the Bible says about the doctrine of salvation. Um, we have all sorts of doctrines. The doctrine of forgiveness, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the creation is what the Bible says about those different topics. Today, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of Scripture. And I've chosen this one because I think it's important. Um, and I think you will see this as you begin to mentor, um, to be able to encourage the women as it relates to Scripture. So a while back, I was doing some counseling with uh, a young woman, and um, I had to say to her, what you're thinking and what you're saying is wrong. It's not correct. And because what you're doing and thinking and saying is not according to Scripture. Now, you know, this person began to make some excuses and to tell me what they thought or, you know, was the best way to handle the problem that they were facing. Uh, but what, what they were saying was not lining up with Scripture. And so that's when I had to say, hold on just a minute. Uh, and I had to stop and explain to her the doctrine of Scripture. And, you know, uh, we talked about the inerrancy of Scripture uh, and that there are no errors in what God's Word says. And so if, if that she did not agree with that, as I said before, her problem was with God. Um, we uh, need to be, all need to be sound 
in our doctrine and certainly in the doctrine of Scripture. I gave you a couple of references here, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and in 2 Peter 1 and 21. I would write these down somewhere. Either I have some of these passages and Scriptures written in the, in the uh cover of my Bible, you know, so that I know right where quickly where to go to, you know, if I need to, um, you know, discuss uh, the doctrine of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Bible has, is inspired. Uh, it, it, in the, in the original Hebrew and the Greek language, um, the inspired means that it was as if it were breathed out by God. It's actually as if God himself breathed out these words in an audible voice. The Bible, uh, there, are, there is power in the words of God. Um, the words of God are true. They're inerrant. There are no mistakes and there are no contradictions in God's word. And we must understand that and believe that. Um, uh, the word of God was given to us by the creator of the universe. God is a God of truth. And everything that we find in this book is true. Um, the Bible contains everything that we need in order to live a godly life. Uh, it contains everything that we need to equip us to do good works. And so then Second Peter 1 and 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Spirit. The Bible is given to us by the creator of the universe, and he gave us this word through, in and through, men as he, um, the Holy Spirit moved on them to write these words. And so the Bible is true. It is the rule in which we determine what we believe. It is the rule by which we live. And that's important that we be able to communicate that and know where to find that and share that as we mentor. There are four things, four ways in which the scripture is profitable. There are four steps uh, uh, in this process in which people are changed in ways that uh, become more pleasing to God. It's through teaching, it's through reproof, it's through correction, and it's through training in righteousness. And this process is always the same, and it's always in the order that Paul gave it to us. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Can you imagine trying to disciple someone or train someone before they know what is true? Can you, you know, how can they be convicted if they don't know what is true? Uh, how can they correct the way that they're living if they don't know what, they, what they're doing wrong? So it's important that these are, that it is in that order. We begin by teaching. We teach what is good. We, God teaches us by his word. He teaches us what is true, what is right. He also teaches us what is sinful, what is wrong. And we should lovingly use God's words to teach principles, these principles, to uh, the young women that God 
places in our life. And, you, and we've talked about what we're going to teach her about loving her husband or children and being self Those are the things that we're going to be teaching. The scripture also gives us reproof. Once we have been taught what scripture says, scripture tells us what we're doing wrong. God's word convicts us of our sin. It makes us aware of the sinful things that we have in our, that we have in our life. Uh, you know, biblical proof is not always fun. Reproof is not fun or always pleasant. But God helps us through his word to recognize our sinful motives and the patterns in our life that are sinful. And when we confess this sin, then he is just to forgive. And God's word declares that he is faithful. He is faithful to us, and he is faithful to forgive us of our sin. And he wants us to be reconciled to a relationship with him. And so in order for that to happen, we must be forgiven. God's word, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, brings people to conviction. And so we, we teach God's word will convict it's not my place to com- try to convict people of their sin. Either God's Word does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just our job to teach and to show them what God's Word says. Then, once we are convicted of our sin, then Scripture corrects us. You know, one, uh, God's Word shows us how to make corrections in our life. God is not just interested in exposing our sin. He wants to right the wrong. And so he, his word teaches us about repentance and how to replace our old sinful ways with new ways that are pleasing to God. Uh, to put off the old self and to put on the new self. He teaches us that in his word. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to quickly Go back to that. And you might write this passage down. Uh, This is an example of this we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and through 24. It says, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you may be renewed in in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So you see that he wants us to... to It's not just enough to stop doing whatever it is you're doing. He wants us to replace our sin with a new way of thinking and a new way of doing. And so then he, if you'll go down to, all through this, uh, verse 25, he says to lay aside falsehood, and what are you going to replace that with? Speaking the truth. Um, He says that um, we're not to steal. We must steal no longer. If if you're a thief, you know, you, you... In order not to be considered a thief anymore, he says you've got to work with your hands, do what is good. And then, not only that, you're willing to share it with other people. That's when you're, not a, you're no longer a thief. Um, that we're not to let unwholesome words come from our mouth, but we are to speak words that edify. You see, the put off and the put on. And then verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And what are you going to replace it with? Well, he tells us in verse 32, To be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Throughout Scripture, he tells us what we're to put off and then what we're to replace it with. He, he corrects us in his word. And, so, and then uh, the next step would be training in righteousness. God's word is given to us so that we can train ourselves to think and act in a way that is pleasing to him. Um, this process, as I said, uh, it takes time. It's old, it doesn't just happen overnight. It occurs over and over and over as we um, position ourselves in a way that God can change us um, and change our character. So it, um, it's something that we have to practice uh, doing and in order to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so just as an Olympian trains uh, to perform at the Olympics day in and day out, hours and hours every day, in the same way, we must train ourselves for the purpose of being godly, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And um, we must acknowledge that as a child of God, uh, we must also understand that God's word was given to us as a guide, a guide for our life, and we can't just take the part we want and throw out the rest. Uh, we must be obedient to it all, and when we do this, then God transforms our lives so that we um, are uh, seen as right uh, in his eyes. And so that is verse, uh, that is week seven, and then um, next week we'll pick up uh, with week eight, and we'll talk more specifically about what he wants us to teach in regard to loving our husband. And so, thank you again for being here. I know that I've kind of ran over a little bit. If anybody has a question, though, just feel free to come up, and I'll be glad to try to answer that for you. Thank you again for being here. This is a, such a blessing to me um, for you to... I'm just... I'm just looking forward to reaping the harvest of all the mentoring that's going to be going on with our women and what a blessing that's going to be to our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time that we've had together. I thank you for your word and what you teach us. And I pray that you would give us hearts that are open uh, to uh, fulfilling the command that you've given us to mentor other women so that we could grow in our lives so that others could be blessed and you, most of all, will be glorified. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.